it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, so glad you're here. Uh, we do know the President of the United States will give a tribute to Mark Milley today, so that'll be on his calendar. Secretary Blinken will not be playing the guitar. I know he's disappointed. Uh, he'll be meeting with the foreign secretary of Mexico. Maybe he might want to say, can you keep the people on your southern border from coming to our southern border? That might come up. And we just got this sad news, but not surprising. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein has passed away at the age of 90. She was suffering big time uh, dementia and other things, clearly in a wheelchair. Big fight over her uh, over her fortune and the power of attorney. It's been ugly. Uh, she's had a, a remarkable career. Uh, former mayor, a long-term senator. She has passed away at the age of 90. Let the battle for her seat begin. So let's get started. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When somebody tattoos a tear, it means that they, they have murdered someone. Yeah. Um, and they are so proud of the, having murdered someone that they tattoo a t- a, one tear on their face for every person that they kill. Is that correct? That, that's exactly right. I mean, these are And this people, person just claimed asylum. Claimed asylum. And we just let them in. We let them in. Yep, that's it. Elon Musk goes to the border. Our broken border has caught the attention of the most famous immigrant from South Africa, Elon Musk. What will uh, what will be easier for him to help us uh, with the border or land on Mars? Number two. But it seems to be abundantly clear from these emails and statements uh, and now sworn testimony yep. that uh, Hunter Biden and his associates were selling access to Joe Biden. Right. Uh, But we're not ready to impeach. I don't think anybody is. It begins. Impeachment inquiry launches and the case takes shape. The investigation heats up and risks are clear. And even the questions must simply rock the Biden family. Think about it. They know exactly what they did. And now Republicans are getting closer, even though Dems just dismiss it. Number one. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. But there's no question that today's Republican Party is driven and intimidated by MAGA Republican extremists. Ugh. 2024, going for blood. That's what Joe Biden is doing by vilifying and dramatizing President Trump and his party, showing he knows he can't run on his record, but only against the idea of a Trump comeback. We also have winners and losers from the debate. Uh, there are also both sides were focused on uh, the United Auto Workers and the strike that's ongoing and what it represents for uh, green automobiles, for electric cars, and for the green movement, as well as the the battle for the blue collar worker, with us right now is a guy who knows all about this industry. Former CEO of Chrysler and Home Depot, Bob Nardelli, and the founder and CEO of XLR Eight LLC. Bob, welcome back. Brian, thank you for having me on, and uh, it's great to be on with the hardest working guy in media. <laughs> thank you. It's, if you consider this work, I'll accept it. But it's fun. But I, I love to talk to guys like you about things that matter most. For example, can you make heads or tails of why these men and women are on picket lines? Who do you side with? Well, it's not a matter of, of siding uh, with either one, uh, Brian, to be honest with you. First, let me say I fully appreciate the need for household income to try to keep up with inflation. Yep. But the irony of this is the inflation is being created by the, the Biden administration. 
And then you got Chairman Powell trying to put it out with a hammer that's killing the middle market companies. So that, that's point number one. Point number two, Brian, let me just share with you, having lived through this before, a scenario. What's going to happen, our consumers are going to be very leery of buying any one of the big three cars. They'll be very leery of even ordering a big three car because they're not sure when they'll get it or what the quality will be when it's produced. That's point number one. Point number two, it's not 146,000 people out of work potentially with the UAW. It's one to 10. So you've got a potential 1.4 million people out of work through the supplier network. Then you've got thousands of dealers, independent dealers in every community that are going to suffer. They're going to they're have a hard time selling cars. You can see they're now going online trying to sell them in retail. And what the current announcement about shutting down the parts distribution, uh, but not Fords, and I'll explain that to you, you're going to be putting mechanics out of work because people aren't going to be able to get their car fixed. I ran through this in 07, 08, and 09 when the financial institutions melted down. Yep. And then finally, President Obama, Larry Summers, and Steve Ratner recognized, wow, if we lose the auto industry, the economy in the United States is in the tank. And they had to come to you and, and find a way to save you guys, right? Correct. Yes, they did. And in some cases, it was overcapitalizing General Motors and then forcing us to do a deal with Fiat after we had just spent $7.5 billion to buy Chrysler back, reestablish it as a, as a legendary company here in the United States. And then basically the, Biden, uh, the, the Obama administration gave that entire business away free, not a dollar, to Fiat. It's nuts. And it still makes no sense and doesn't get enough scrutiny. Having said that, did, did the, do you understand when the auto workers come out and say, we gave away too much in 08, including our pensions, and now you guys are doing better and we want more? Do you understand that? Is that accurate? Well, we had no choice. I mean, I was blessed to have Ron Gettelfinger as the president of the UAW who understood the severity of the situation where we were trying to save the big three. And we cooperated and had open book discussions and private discussions, not like this new president that wants to be a media mogul here, uh, potentially doing a, his announcement at 10 o'clock today online. And, and we tried to keep the privacy of the negotiations and not try to negotiate in the media, Brian. So, so what happened was, yes, we had to do some things. We had to get rid of pensions. We couldn't afford, in the case of GM, $55 billion dollars. And that was transferred over to Aviva so the union could man manage health care costs. Yes, we did go to a two-tier system. Should a new employee without the skills be paid the same as the employee next to them so we had a graduated program? We got rid of the job bank from the standpoint of people could get 95% of their wages, reading a book in a cafeteria, and basically turning down every job. We were able to get at least three strikes and you're out. If you turn down three, then, then you lose that benefit. I mean, it was a plethora of, of benefits that we tried to clean up over and above wages. So having said that, do you think the president helped things by hopping on the picket line? And you talk about this guy, Fain. I don't know much about him. I'm not impressed with him. And I know, too, he's a big Bernie Sanders guy. This guy's a socialist. Well, let's face it. He was elected on some very bold and overreaching commitments to his to his rank and file. He now is under tremendous pressure to deliver. So what we're seeing, Brian, is a is a separation and stronger polarization, both between the three the three big ones and and the union. 
And so the matter it's a matter now of who's going to blink first, correct? I mean, if you if you look at this, though, Ford was not mentioned as closing some of the warehouses. Well, why is that? Well, their chief negotiator has been with Ford for some time. Bill Ford has a much better relationship with the UAW than, than Carlos Travaris, who runs Stellatus now, and, and also Mary Bauer at, at, at GM. So I'm not surprised at that. But this is, again, a very strategic strike by the UAW. They know how to cripple the, the, the industry. And again, I think, you know, the president got there and talked about we, 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 we. What he didn't say is, hey, I am the guy killing your jobs by forcing prematurely. Instead of an evolution, I want to do a revolution with EV vehicles. And that has further. And you saw Ford has now announced they're, they're not going to move forward with a $3.5 billion battery plant in Michigan that was going to, Jim Farley was going to try to get 2,000, 2,500 UAW workers in that plant, Brian. So he's not doing it. He stopped it. They say because a lot of the deals were done is really with a Chinese company or Chinese uh, rare earth purchases from China. Well, that's true. I mean, he tried to put this in a couple of different states and they said no because of that relationship. He was able to bring it to Michigan. He got a nine point two billion dollar grant. And in addition, let's let's not lose sight. If Ford's doing so well, why have they lost $6 billion in the last two years transitioning to EV vehicles? So there's a lot of misrepresentation of facts in these media announcements, Brian. Well, um, and there's a, there's a huge problem with jamming electric cars down America's throats. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much an issue, too. I want Brian, you to hear we saw this. We saw yeah. this with the CAFE standards when Obama wanted to go to a fleet measurement in fuel consumption. And the consumer said, no, thank you. We're going to buy big cars or we're not going to buy anything. And so we, we saw they basically had to take an off-ramp with that, with that edict. I don't know when this administration is going to wake up and do the same thing. I want you to hear what President Trump said Wednesday, cut 39. Every time Joe Biden and the UAW's political leadership talk about a fair transition to all electric cars, American labor will be under siege. It's not going to work for you. It can't work. You right? Yeah, there's there's no question that there will be a definite reduction. If you look at the number of components that go into an ICE internal combustion engine car, it's a multitude of what goes into an electric vehicle. Basically, you have a carcass with a set of batteries. You don't have an engine, a transmission, all of the componentry that goes into a, a, an ICE engine. But the advantage you have is you could stop at any filling station, fill up, and move down the road. You don't have to wait four hours for a battery charge. And then most of all, try to find a charging station. It used to be range anxiety that kept consumers away, and now it's recharging anxiety. So basically, you're, you're trying to convert the entire auto industry with a technology that doesn't have the infrastructure in place, Brian, to move forward. I, it's so painfully obvious, I don't understand. And then this president, on day one, shut down energy independence. He surrendered our energy independence. It's currently about 40 percent inflation to the consumer. So it's just uh, the dichotomy of this is beyond the pale of common sense. Brian. It is. If, unless you want the Saudi Arabia and Russia to decide how much our gas will cost. It's now $90 a barrel going up to 120 If you want this war to stop, that's not one way to do it. It's all related. So having said that, knowing the ramifications of what you said and the reality of those people on the, on the picket line, do you think it helped things for Joe Biden to be on the picket line? 
I, I don't think it. I mean, let's face it. While he was there, right, Brian? I mean, the guy is desperate for 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 endorsement, and so without that, I don't think he would have shown up. I mean, he's not showing up at any of the other areas where we have crisis, like the border. I mean, again, so obvious. If you have a, a leak in your house, you don't go buy more buckets. You shut you shut the water off. <laughs> with 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 all this migration, you know, you don't try to support it all. You, you basically close the border. It, it's it's that simple to the common man, and and I just don't understand it. And here's one common argument: Sean Fain, the UAW president, uh, on Face the Nation, cut thirty five. It's insulting that a CEO gets on air this la- in the last few days and says that. Her $29 million salary is justified by her performance. No, it's not. It's justified by the performance of the worker on the backs of the workers and by paying them poverty wages. And that's unacceptable in this country. So the CEOs, that's basically what they get. Do you you see the perception there? Do they have a point? Brian, here's here's their point. They're not able to negotiate. So this is is the old playbook. When in doubt, go after the CEO's pay. And, and the separation between the CEO and the entry-level worker. So it, this, this, is, uh, this is a desperate move that we see time and time again to single out those three CEOs that, you know, that are working probably 120 hours a week and have unbelievable fiduciary responsibility to all the investors, to 146 you know, United Auto Workers. We have a similar situation in Canada where they put down the gauntlet and said, by October 9th, if they don't settle, they'll start shutting plants down in Canada. So, you know, the thing that moves this country is in peril and jeopardy right now. I want you to hear this exchange with Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg, cut 37. But EVs do require fewer jobs. What happens to those positions, Mr. Secretary? Well, you're going to see an auto sector grow on American soil where there will be more American jobs to be had. Yes, uh, EVs are better vehicles, uh, including in the sense that they have uh, fewer moving parts. They don't break down as often. Uh, They also represent a huge growth area for America to reclaim more of the sector. Remember, after a manufacturing recession under the last administration, we're seeing a manufacturing boom under this administration. This really can be a win-win-win. And to be clear, there's no going back. I mean, this technology is coming. Well, is it, number one, is that, is that the way you see the math? No, let me, let me say a couple of things. First of all, the administration continually misrepresents the return of manufacturing jobs. If you look at the job creation uh, every month when we look at new employees, they're mostly in the service sector, Brian, right? They're in hospitality. They're in airlines. I mean, if, if you always ask the next question of what were the top three or four areas that has created jobs uh, in the month, one particular month was hair, haircut. You know, the company that basically cuts men and women's hair had the most job creation. We saw, we're, we're, we'll see UPS, for example, are going to go out and get 100,000 jobs to, for the holiday season. So those are not pure manufacturing jobs, number one. EVs will evolve. But let's not force the evolution to create a revolution of what we've got going on today, Brian. That that's the case, right? And and you can't tell me it's got a, a small green footprint when you have to mine to get the rare earth to build the batteries, and then what do you do with the batteries when they're out? We have nowhere to get rid of them, Brian. You're spot on. But here's the other point that no one's talking about. You know, I ran GE Power Systems for a number of years, and I'm still working with a number of utilities. And they are absolutely backs against the wall. They don't have the capacity to support the transition to EVs if, in fact, all the mandates that are out there, whether it's K-12 
California and other, other states, they don't have the capacity to be able to supply. Again, these will, some of them are talking about opening old coal plants to be able to meet grid demands. So this thing, there, there isn't, you know, one side of the administration is not talking to the other side, or basically they're blind to the issue that they're trying to create here, uh, Brian. Right. And the president's making a speech the other night and they say declare a climate emergency. So he's dealing with somebody who doesn't he, a, a group that doesn't think he's left enough. What's going on with this yeah. country? Bob Nardelli, uh, former uh, CEO of Chrysler, Home Depot, and now founder and CEO of XLR8 LLC. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate your insight. It's great. Thank you, Brian. Have a good day. You too. one 408 7669 I'll come back and take your calls. Also, at the bottom of the hour, welcome in Carly Shimkus. We'll ride the news, including the death of Diane Feinstein at the age of 90. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Evidence reveals that then-Vice President Joe Biden spoke, dined, and developed relationships with his family's foreign business targets. These business targets include foreign oligarchs who sent millions of dollars to his family. It also includes a Chinese national who wired a quarter of a million dollars to his son. So that is a little of the opening inquiry yesterday, uh, the impeachment inquiry that took place over the course of six, seven hours yesterday. And all we heard was not like, wow, how disturbing it might be, or even defense of the communication between these uh, 20 uh, shell companies, the Hunter Biden situation, the pseudonym about the emails, the transactions uh, with the, the mayor of Moscow, with Kazakhstan, China. Everyone just, well, there's nothing there. That's just his son who's on crack with prostitutes. Everybody can see the difference or Donald Trump is worse or uh, Jared Kushner is terrible. Jared Kushner's in business. Donald Trump is Donald Trump. You've already impeached him twice. Everybody knows how you feel about him. Can you just honestly look at Joe Biden and say you're not disturbed by somebody using his family, his name for influence to enrich his own family? That's where this is heading. And that's where the evidence is leading. But it's not there. That is not an aha moment for it not to be there. That is obvious. That's why you have an inquiry, not because you have conclusions. And the evidence is great. It's just that we knew a lot of it already because the investigation was transparent. Rather than going with leaks, they let us know how it was going on the fly. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I was talking to our mutual friend, uh, the pollster, Matt Towery, this afternoon. And Matt said to me, based on what he saw last night, this race is over. Donald Trump will be the nominee. They might as well quit having the various debates because they don't work. They're not helping anybody. Uh, and uh, I think that's where we are. I think Trump will be the nominee. And the question now for everybody is, do you want to see Joe Biden reelected or do you want to help Donald Trump? There's no middle ground here, I don't think, uh, because uh, you're either going to get Trump as president or you're going to have Biden. 
and Biden's reelection will be a disaster for the country. Well, that is Newt Gingrich using his astute political skill and experience to move forward and say, just let it be Donald Trump and let's move on. Uh, let it be Carly Shimkus, co-anchor of Fox and Friends first, fresh off anchoring on Fox and Friends, who's now in studio moments before declaring it a weekend. Yes, that's right. Uh, it, I have now officially declared it the weekend. If you're in your car is going to work, just turn around. Really? Yeah, just take a three-day weekend. What if they're nine to fivers and they're running late? You know, sometimes you just got to treat yourself. Right. You think everybody's on the morning show schedule? <laughs> that we've already put in eight hours, no reason to feel guilty? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's just us. We've been up for that so, long. So Newt Gingrich, is he wrong to say back Man, out everybody? Some... I think he's wrong. Okay, you got to so give listen. people a right to run. Yeah, of course. Uh, they should run. It's the democratic process. But you look at some of these polls and May. I mean, how, you think, how do you make up a... a 35, 40, 50 point deficit, especially with eight other candidates still in the race. But I mean, you... I, that's one of the reasons why I kind of like I like the last question that Dana asked during the debate where she's like, vote somebody off the island. And what she was getting at is literally if there are this many mathematically, if there are this many people still running, then it is 100 percent going to be Donald Trump. And then in that case, Newt Gingrich would absolutely be right. It's just a game of numbers. Right. But I would like to play it out until, like, if you said to me uh, on the eve of Super Tuesday, having not won a single primary, left to lose you Nevada, South Carolina, Iowa, New Hampshire, why are you still in? I'd say, okay, I get it. You know, it's inevitable. Let me play out this string. You think it's too soon to it talk about soon, that? It is too soon, especially because you have machines and people employed. Yeah. And also, some more people could be jumping in. I mean, did you see that? All that news about Glenn Youngkin becoming a possibility. Rob Costa, Robert Costa. Yeah, yeah. From the, I think it was the Washington Post. And then he was on with um, Sandra and John. I think it was yesterday. And Sandra asked him, do you feel a responsibility for your party and for your country to jump in the race? Talking to Glenn Youngkin. And his response was he didn't say no. He was flattering. Like, it's a great well, story. Yeah, I'm so humbled by this. I mean, 40 years ago, I was washing dishes, taking out the trash. So to even be in the conversation, do you want that to hear is it? not a no. Oh, I would love Because you were doing the Glenn Youngkin impersonation. Yeah. He has a little bit of a deeper voice than me. Let's see. Okay. Cut six. Do you feel a responsibility for your party and for your country to jump in this race? Well, let me let me begin with how one, how humbling this is. Uh, you know, 40 years ago, I'm washing dishes and taking out trash uh, in the Belvedere Hotel. Uh, and today people are, are, are throwing my name around in a national context. I, I'm new at this. Uh, you know, I have had one campaign under, under under my belt, and I've been governor for 21 months. Uh, I think we have really moved things in Virginia. It's encouraging that people are watching and, and like what we're doing. I mean, that is the ultimate. He's, oh. a, he's a first-term governor, but the boy, is that a political answer? What was I think it? he's yeah. interested. My childhood. Yeah, and you know what really happens is it's all about money. It's about these donors, and they talk you up, and then you start to think, you know, what if? I don't think what he's better I than could? Ron DeSantis, do you? Better as yeah, a as like, a candidate. Does he, does well, he bring a better resume than Ron DeSantis? I mean, he's newer, I guess, than Ron DeSantis. He's definitely different. He's much, He he has a much calmer presence. And I've never met Ron DeSantis in person, but I have met Glenn Youngkin a couple times. I mean, the guy truly couldn't be a nicer person. He's a warm person. Yeah, I, that's kind of neither here nor there. That's just my opinion of him. He's just so nice, and he gives. I mean, he even gives me like you know he, he doesn't know me. But he gives me so much time to just ask him all these questions when he sees me in the green room. And sometimes when you talk to big politicians like that, they're a little bit more guarded. So I think that's just his natural personality. But then you think about, like, is there enough time? I mean, you have to 
uh, there's like a lot of ballot deadlines, and that's gonna that could be like a big hurdle for him. And I don't even know if he would at this point make all have his name be on all of the states. So the Daily Mail looked at the debate the other night. No, I I, I don't think he should run. I mean, if he was going to run, he's got to get in earlier. And it's not as if, you know, it is 44 DeSantis, 46 Trump, and I think I can compete. I mean, he's got to make up a 50-point gap. Yeah, and to I know. me, he's profiles like the other Just wait. talented people. Just yeah, wait. Other talented people on the stage. Totally. Uh, I was talking to another governor, and I said, were you thinking about running a Republican governor? He goes, oh, yeah. But I sensed what was happening now would happen again. I said, and that is Trump. that Donald Trump was not beatable and I should wait. And yeah. I said, wow. I wonder he if said, DeSantis thinks this. And well, he brought up, he said, look at Ron DeSantis, very successful governor, uh, strong candidate, can't get traction. I said, interesting. All right. So his numbers say the same thing. So uh, they did a study. Uh, they, they looked at a sample of 546 Republicans who tuned in to the second debate. They ranked him from one to ten. And uh, who do you think got the highest? Or did you see this? I study? did not. I really didn't. Okay. Uh, de- uh, oof. DeSantis? DeSantis is second with 6.5. Okay. Who's first? Nikki? Uh, Nikki Haley is third with 5.6. Okay. Vivek? Chris Christie. Vivek is 6.9. Okay. So he's first. Okay. Which is interesting. Vivek is first. Because he, uh, Chris Christie was voted most annoying. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> Oops. Uh, 4.6. Uh, Tim Scott got a 5-5, five, five, and Pence got a 5-2. So everyone's in and out there. I thought it was a tough format. The arguing was a little strained. I didn't literally learn anything, but you get a chance to see how people act and um, demeanor. Okay, well, I heard you say that yesterday. I think it was you that said that you didn't learn anything from the debate, and that is not a knock on the debate. I do think that these these are important, and there were some substantive moments. I thought one of them was the whole China connection with Vivek Ramaswamy. It was a Washington Post article. It definitely got more Mark traction. Thiessen. Yeah, after how he he his first business um, he had he was doing business with folks in China, and the whole question is well. This is the question that Mark Thiessen posed, is that why he would be so easily willing to give up Taiwan? So if you're running for president, those are valid questions, and he should answer them. And his answer has been, well, yeah, I made a mistake during when I started my first business that I corrected with my second one. Okay, fine. Uh, but that came out during the debate, you and gotta that's good. Get, you got to get ahead of that if you have Vivek. Yeah, he's got a foreign policy issue for sure. Um, and he takes a, a, a populist stance. Some people agree with him within the Republican Party. I think a majority probably don't. Um, but... Uh, it, it was also hard to follow in some parts, and I was really grasped, okay, what are they talking about? You know, the drapes comment, and there were other things where a lot of them agreed on certain things but were saying the same thing in sort of a different way. And, you know, it is a primary debate, so they are going to by and large agree on most things. I thought I think that Ron DeSantis really does do a good job in these debates, though, because he's sort of above the fray. Interestingly, he doesn't get a lot he doesn't take a lot of incoming fire i think because they see vivek ramaswamy on the rise and him sort of stagnant or falling so mm. he is a, he is able to make a lot of points and clearly his strategy is name a topic i've been there i've done that i've already tackled it right yeah at a very young age there'd be congress he's been in the military got a, a law degree uh in a rush now let's look at the shutdown that's going to be happening i don't see any scenario where we don't shut down which yeah. is insane um so we're we have a situation where the first story in the washington post today has uh, looks like uh, Matt Gates is leading an insurgency against Kevin McCarthy. Oof. So we'll waste our vote ousting a speaker as if he's the problem. You got the most conservative liberal speaker. It's about getting consensus 
Uh, please tell me who else has the consensus. Tom Emmers is his deputy. Steve Scalise is dealing with cancer. And they have, they're inseparable. They go, no, we're going with Tom Emmers. Really? So you think Tom Emmers is going to turn on the guy he's been with seven days a week I know. for the last four years? Listen, I mean, Republicans call out Democrats when there's infighting with their own party, with the squad, and sort of more mainstream Democrats, I guess you could say. Same, there's the same issue on the Republican side as well, where it's four or five Republicans that are holding up a lot of these spending Matt bills. Matt Rosendale, Matt And Gates. they just hate Kevin McCarthy for whatever reason, maybe because he is considered more of a mainstream Republican. But I don't know. I, I mean, listen, it, when you're an elected official, you're supposed to be speaking for your constituency. Maybe that's how that group of people feel. But I don't think anybody wants a government shutdown. You're there, to, you're there to get stuff done. It's not just to be a conservative or just to be a moderate or just to be a liberal. You're there to get stuff done within your caucus. Do you want to be in the majority? Yeah. Do you remember what it was like not being in? You're invisible in the House. Why would you put that at risk? It's crazy. My, uh, unless you're Matt Gates, maybe he doesn't care. Congressman Mike McCall weighed in last night with Brad Cut 31. Well, I, I know the speaker's working on a potential CR bill that has border security on it, uh, as well as the debt commission. Uh, whether we can pass that tomorrow remains to be seen. Uh, and then we would have to get this through the Senate uh, by Saturday, or the government does shut down. And I tend to agree with that survey. Yeah, I, I've seen this movie before. Uh, it never ends very well. And a government shutdown hurts, hurts everybody, including our military, our Border Patrol, and, and our economy. So I hope we don't get to that point. But if I'm uh, looking at uh, Vegas odds, I'd say it's very likely. Yeah, I, I mean, you, if, you, if you possibly pass it in the House, it still has to go to the Democrat-controlled Senate. I mean, I don't. I mean, what you do is, you, but do you go up to happen. do you go up to the Democrats in the in the House and say, you know, I got enough, I got enough votes, I got enough votes to pass this, and if Kevin McCarthy does that, is he out? Is he out? Well, you just did a deal with the Democrats. Well, I mean, he's looking to continue to fund the government. So I have, I'm firmly in the McCarthy camp on this, except on one point. You said you're going to do things in regular order and bring th- bring these ten to eleven appropriations bills, and you got four. And it was just passed last night. Yeah. I mean, you should have just said, guys, where are my appropriations? But what do you mean you don't agree? You've got to come up with something. I know. I don't know why that didn't happen. And yeah. I know you've been talking to a lot of Congress people about why they took August off when this could have been yeah. done in August. Did we take August off? Uh, I We did not. Yeah. No, we were here. I took the last week of August off. It was lovely. That was okay, but yeah. you did your appropriations I'm not a, I am bill. not an elected official. Right. Yes. Did, you pay, did you pay your bills before you went on vacation? <laughs> Yeah, all working? my bills. Are, I'm up to date on my personal Did you finances. Cut spending? Thank God. Oh no, no, no. Oh, just yeah, had, just not... had a baby. Not cutting spending whatsoever okay. right now. I don't want to hear excuses. Yeah. We have a budget. You have a. Hopefully, non- uh, my gov- my personal government won't shut down anytime soon. Knock on wood. It's the non discretionary spending we have to address. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I I like your choices. I just don't like these automatic. Listen, payments. shoes make me happy. Okay. What can fine. I say? All right, you need both a left and a right, yeah. it seems. When we when we come back, we saw the impeachment hearings yesterday. I thought it was an inquiry. Am I the only one who know what inquiry means? Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If the Republicans had a smoking gun or even a dripping water pistol, they would be presenting it today 
but they've got nothing on Joe Biden. If we had a box of all the foreign money the Bidens took, it would have reached to the ceiling. The only thing the president is, can be guilty of here is being a father. Hunter Biden referred to access to his father as the keys to his family's only asset. Those words are going to come back and haunt Hunter Biden. This is an embarrassment, an embarrassment to the time and people of this country. Right. The last one's AOC. I'm always on uh, my edge of my seat every time she speaks. There's so much wisdom there. But it gives you an idea. If you missed the seven hours of testimony yesterday, this is how different worlds were at. We see these this mysterious uh, these uh, mysterious shell accounts. We see these meetings, the 20 of which the president was a part of, that Devin Archer would admit to. There's probably even more, some of which he was there in person. And they go, well, what about Jared Kushner? Uh, there's nothing here. There's no proof. Excuse me? Because it was presented earlier, there's no proof. Carly Shimkus is here. Carly, you're all over this. I don't know how much you had a chance to watch yesterday. Wow. I mean, how could you miss it? It was on for six hours. Six hours. Yeah. Jonathan Turley deserves a nap. Um And his whole point is, listen, with the current evidence that has been laid out, it met the threshold for an impeachment inquiry, not impeach, not articles of impeachment yet. And now it's the job of House Republicans, especially in the Oversight Committee, to get us there. Maybe there's there there. Maybe there isn't. But it is just so political. I mean, there was I mean, there are still some issues on Washington that are bipartisan. It was like two different planets that the you know Republicans and Democrats because are on. they weren't taking on the issue. You know, but yeah, actually, I, I I say that, but with the hedge of I think that actually Democrats do realize that they're being political when it comes to this. I mean, you can't you can't ignore. There are so many facts surrounding Hunter Biden and his ties with Joe Biden. Yeah, that it, you forget some of the big ones. Like the ten twenty three form came up yesterday. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I forgot about that. I completely forgot about that. Like the ten, five million to Hunter Biden, five million to Joe Biden. Jamie, I, how do you turn a blind eye to that? You know, I was doing the show and and I was trying to get the closed caption read while doing the show, but I saw one time when I had the sound up, Jamie Raskin said, "Do we know this laptop is uh, Hunter Biden's?" Hey. I'm like. Really? Are we, are we going over that again? So, uh, wait, isn't isn't Hunter Biden actually suing the yes. laptop and that repair was, and guy Cuomo now? Was flustered. He's suing because he stole his laptop. <laughs> yeah, He's I like, think no, no, we've we got that know. one squared away now. We don't know the chain of custody. Yeah, we do know. He walked over, gave it to the FBI, <laughs> oh and he held gosh, on to yeah. it. It's the FBI still has it. But Andy McCarthy brought up a point that helped me because without the legal background, I always feel like I'm uh, up against it. I need consultation. Mm-hmm. But Andy McCarthy watched this and gave an instant analysis last night with Brad Cut24. They've been undone in a way in, in the political presentation of this by the very success of the committee inquiries. You know, if you knew nothing at all about Burisma or the influence peddling scheme or, or what have you, and you learned for the first time today that over a period of just five years, the Biden family in a business that is Joe Biden selling access to him raked in $24 million and did it in the way that they did it with no apparent value being exchanged for the money and it being funneled through all these LLCs and uh, and banking channels, you would be astonished. People's jaws would be hitting the floor. So, you know, when I hear today people say, well, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? I, I'm, you know, I, j- I just think that where we are at this point is pretty astonishing in terms of what's been proved. 
Yeah, that's such a great point. And he was responding to a criticism that nothing new happened during the impeachment inquiry hearing. And that really wasn't the purpose of the it was just to lay out why this was happening. And just this week, we found out that there was a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar wire transfer to Hunter Biden uh, address listed as Joe Biden's Delaware address. (laughs) And then the big news with that is that it was after Joe Biden said that he was running for president. So that raises the stakes in and of itself. So? Uh, or the, and even the basic question of a couple years ago, he was saying he didn't knew nothing about his son's foreign business dealings. He had he was completely separate from it, never talked to his son about it, which is completely unbelievable. So, Carly, what about this scenario? They go through the whole investigation, Carly Shimkus here, and they say, here's all the evidence. You know, we don't have uh, we don't have the deposit slip. We don't have the voice recordings, but we're not going to go through through the impeachment. Does it look like Joe Biden wins? Well, that's one of the things that they run the risk of. Right. So this is now the like I said, the stakes are high now. The impeachment inquiry is happening. So say, for instance, for whatever reason, they don't come up with it. And maybe the reason would be that not, there is nothing there. But what if there is? And because of how our Justice Department is and, you know, bank records are being hidden. What if they never come up with it? And then Joe Biden can claim victory and say, see, I told you so. Right. So Even if I mean, jo- that too. and plus, it's never going to get anywhere in the Senate, obviously. Right. Yeah. Unless there's a move to get also, him out. this is going to take a lot of time. And if you can believe it, 2024 is somewhat just around the corner. Right. And if Republicans lose the House, then they lose that, you know, the the, the power to continue this. That's it for this hour. Are you going to the mall now like everyone else in New I'm Jersey? going to get my nails done. Really? Shall we pick a color together? I'm thinking mauve. <laughs> mauve. <laughs> okay, I'll do mauve in honor of you. I'm thinking mauve. <laughs> From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Andy McCarthy standing by. Nick Koser from the Fox Fox Weather uh, shortly. Uh, he'll be with us, too. And by the way, weather's pretty terrible here. Sad news. Uh, the passing of Diane Feinstein at the age of 90. She was suffering greatly at the end. So for her, I feel a, a degree of relief. And now the battle is going to be now. They're mourning her on Capitol Hill, obviously, trying to avoid a shutdown, clearly. But the other thing with uh, Senator Feinstein, there's going to be a scramble for her seat. Gavin Newsom has come out and said this before. Um, anyone who's going to be a candidate for her seat will not be someone to replace her temporarily, be a placeholder. So if you're a candidate, don't do it. She's then going to look to get a, a minority. What Democrat doesn't? So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When somebody tattoos a tear, it means that they, they have murdered someone. Yeah. Um, and they are so proud of the, having murdered someone that they tattoo a t- a, one tear on their face for every person that they kill. Is that correct? That, that's exactly right. I mean, these are And this people. person just claimed asylum. Claimed asylum. And we just let them in. We let them in. Yep, that is Elon Musk. Our broken border has caught the attention of our most famous immigrant, Elon Musk. What would be easier for him, landing on Mars or fixing this mess? Love for him to try to do both. Number two. But it seems to me abundantly clear from these emails and statements uh, and now sworn testimony that uh, Hunter Biden and his associates were selling access to Joe Biden. That is true, Jonathan Turley. Impeachment inquiry launches and the case takes shape. The investigation heats up, the risks are clear, and even the questions must simply rock the Biden family because, in my view, they know exactly where this is going. But the Dems dismiss it all. 
Number one. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. But there's no question that today's Republican Party is driven and intimidated by MAGA Republican extremists. Unbelievable, right? Let's just make it an extremist. If you don't vote for me because I'm old and ridiculous, uh, it's got you can't vote for Donald Trump. He'll destroy everybody. 2024, going for blood. That's what Joe Biden is doing by vilifying and dramatizing President Trump and his party, showing he knows he can't run on his record, but only against the idea of a Trump comeback. That's how I view it. And it's very similar to Barack Obama on a lesser level. When Mitt Romney got the nomination immediately, he's a white guy that loved to fire black people, tie his car, tie dogs to the roof of his car, uh, cut up companies, and can't be trusted, and doesn't pay his taxes. None of that's true, but it didn't matter because Barack Obama didn't feel comfortable running on his record, and his approval rating was 41%. Andy McCarthy's approval rating for this show is 97.8%. It just came in. He's a Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Andy, welcome back. Ryan, my mom just uh, texted me and wants to know what happened to the other 2.2%. Right. We're going to find out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire them. I've, I've belie- I, did, I believe it's a few stragglers. I think it's probably Eric Sean and John Scott because uh, they're, t- be. they're the be. toughest to please. So, Andy, first off, I think you defined it brilliantly last night. Yesterday, the impeachment was an inquiry. It was an investigation. Oversight was doing it. They felt like they were, they were being slow-walked and being uh, uh, roadblocked on getting uh, bank statements and getting emails with pseudonyms. So they said this is the logical next step. To me, an inquiry is an investigation. Am I wrong? No, you're exactly right. And I think, Brian, the thing is, if you knew nothing, you know, all the people yesterday who said this was all a big nothing burger, you know, it'd be totally typical at the beginning of an impeachment investigation to have a hearing like they had yesterday. Um, where you lay out what the, you know, the constitutional requirements for impeachment are. You have the forensic accountant and the woman from the tax division at the Justice Department to give an overview of the kind of proof that they expect to bring out in the, in the coming hearings with respect to obstruction at the Justice Department and all of the money that shoots through these accounts. That's pretty much standard fare. And yet people are saying it's a nothing burger. And my thing is, if you knew nothing about this going into yesterday and they told you that the Biden family got $24 million between 2014 and 2019 from people connected to corrupt and anti-American governments, your jaw would have dropped. I mean, yeah. you, you know, we, we would have been completely um, amazed. So I think – a large part of the reason that the Democrats and, and others who are critics here are saying this is a big nothing burger is because of the success of the committees, and, and particularly Jamie Comer, in the way they've guided this investigation up until now. I wouldn't have made it an impeachment inquiry. I would have let them just keep doing what they're doing because I was a little bit afraid of exactly what's happened, which is now that they're saying impeachment, everybody's saying, well, you didn't show us anything yesterday. We were supposed to see this big um, you know, damning evidence in the hearing and, and none of it materialized. But there's been a ton of it up until now. So, yeah, Jonathan Turley is an expert, not a witness. And you had a forensic expert, uh, also a, 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 uh, a financial forensic expert, go and talk about what they're seeing in front of them. This guy, Dubinsky, who I talked to this morning 
on Fox and Friends, and he said he was astounded by what he was seeing. He goes, I'm just there to tell you that there's a lot of reasons for suspicion here and tell you when people set up shell companies because they don't want things to be tracked. And we do wonder where the money is, and there's a lot to find out. He's like, there would be a lot for me to do if I was ever hired to look at this case. Byron Donalds brought that up. He's got the business background. Cut 19. This is a text message between um, Hunter Biden and Naomi Biden. And this one is a famous one. Everybody knows this one. This is the famous one that says, I hope you all do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard. But don't worry. Unlike Pop, I won't make you, I won't make you give me half your salary. Mr. Dubinsky, if you saw a text message like this in a potential money laundering operation or a potential pay-for-play operation, would you be looking for information related to money going from Son to father? Absolutely, without a doubt. So that's the reason for the inquiry. This is something verbatim. Can you imagine if Don Jr. said, my dad's next to me, or Don Jr.'s complaining, they got to give all my money to uh, President Trump, my dad, for all these years. Uh, well, he would have been in the private sector. It doesn't withstand it. How could you not have a follow-up and say, I'm very curious about where this is going. My dad's next to me and we're very angry and Biden's whole grudges. Well, we'll never forget this. I mean, is is that just saying because he's on crack? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they're going to try to, you know, use all that to try to undermine him now. But I, I do think, Brian, that we've looked at this the wrong way or, or it's been allowed to be teed up the wrong way. Like, the idea is that Hunter Biden has this business over here, and we have to figure out what Joe Biden may have known about it and what things he may have done that, that indicate that he was trying to help it along. And I just think that's the wrong way to look at this. The right way to look at this is Joe Biden is the business. There is no business without Joe Biden. The $24 million I mentioned uh, a second ago, that's going one way. The only thing going the other way in these transactions, there's no assets, there's no real estate, there's no services, there's access to Joe Biden. He's the business. And if this was Trump's sons or anybody else's sons, everybody would be talking about it exactly that way, that it would that the uh, family members were just being used as pretexts or vehicles to pay the big guy, because that's the way these things work. And as John Turley uh, explain yesterday, also the uh, the woman who was from tax division at the Justice Department explained, the government looks at this and the IRS looks at this like if you're paying the son for the father, then it's like paying the father constructively. And in fact, there's tax cases that, that say that it's income to the father, even if the money is going to the son. That's common sense. Um, but we've we've allowed it to be kind of presented as if Hunter has this separate thing, and our and the trick here is to figure out what Joe might have known about it. Right, uh, and I didn't see if this was presented yesterday, but this certainly was broken yesterday, according to Fox News Digital. There was a two hundred fifty thousand dollar wa- uh, wire Hunter Biden received from a Chinese business partner, labeled as personal investment. Despite the legal team claiming the funds were part of a loan and previously saying he never received any return on the investment. Fox News Digital has learned Hunter Biden received wires that originated in Beijing, totaling $260,000 from those partners during the summer. But the wires that listed the Delaware home of Joe Biden, not Hunter, as the beneficiary address for the funds. If I'm a forensic accountant or I'm an investigator, is that something to investigate? 
Yeah, it's something to investigate. So is the, the fact that it was an investment payment. Yeah. Because the, the thing they were investing in, Brian, was that Joe Biden had just announced that he was running for president. That's the investment. Unbelievable. Uh, Andy, I got to bring you to something with President Trump. I've been following these cases the best I can as a civilian, not reading every word of the deposition, not having the experience of going to trial after reading it or defending somebody, but just looking from the outsider perspective. Tell me if I'm describing this accurately. The attorney general decides, I'm looking at this Trump organization. I don't, I don't like him. I'm going to do an investigation. And she comes out and decides that he overestimated his wealth by about a billion dollars instead of 3.5 is 2.3 billion. That's how they view it through their experts. But one of the things is you look down at properties and values, they have $18 million for Mar-a-Lago. It's worth people, experts say, about at least 300 to 500 million. What else are they off on? Having said that, no bank complaints, no construction problems, no insurance situations. If they're no excuse, no one's saying they didn't pay their taxes. So from his golf clubs to his buildings to his, to his business complexes to the Trump Tower, they have looked at this and said fraud. It looks like he's looking at a fine of $250 million. His, his assets in New York might go into a receivership. And now the trial starts this week, mysteriously. But the whole appeal can start right away with the appellate court. I, to me, am outraged by this because they're trying to take a guy down who they used to love because he's a Republican, to me, there's no there there. Yeah, well, I, I think this is one of the most monstrous things I, I've ever seen. I mean, the other background here, Brian, is that do you know what this case is built on? It's built on Trump's financial records that the Manhattan County District Attorney, first Cy Vance and then Alvin Bragg, went up to the Supreme Court twice to get access to these records because they thought this was going to be the mother load of a criminal prosecution. And then they got the records and they looked at them and they said, there's no crimes here. There's nothing here that's worth prosecuting criminally. And it's that information that Tish James, the AG, who ran for office promising her progressive base that she'd use her power against Trump, she scoops this up, puts it in a civil case, and uses it basically to to impose the corporate death penalty. She got the judge of her dreams, this guy, Arthur Engeron, who's just a, you know, he's a hack Democrat um, who's assigned to this case. And he went with her. I mean, you read this 35 page opinion that he issued, um, which I wrote about a couple of days ago, the, the venom against Trump, the hostility to him from a judge. It's so unseemly. The judge is supposed to be an objective person. It pours off every page how hostile he is. He even fines Trump's lawyers seventy five hundred bucks apiece uh, for you know saying that they made frivolous arguments that they knew were uh, they knew were meritless. But the important thing here, and you're c- completely right about this, is even if Trump overstated his the asset values on a number of his assets, and I'm I'm not making excuses for that. You're not supposed to do that sort of thing. But the important thing here and the reason the prosecutors didn't do anything with it is nobody got swindled. Yep. You know, everybody got paid. There's not a single bank that comes in that says he missed a payment on something or anything like that. And, to you know, whatever wrong he did here, you know, you want to issue a fine or something because he overstated the value. I'm okay with that. That sounds right to me. But to put him out of business, to take a a $2 billion empire that New York used to regard 
both the empire and Trump as iconic celebrity figures, and then suddenly he becomes their political enemy, and they just they they take this law, which is like the craziest law I ever saw. You don't need to prove intent. You don't have to show that anybody meant to defraud anyone. I, I mean, it's just it's astonishing. I want you to hear what his lawyer said, Alina Hobble, or spokesperson, Trump legal spokesperson. Cut thirty three. What a disgrace. The Trump Organization is an amazing American story about a business owned by a family. And now they've used his politics to go against his children. I mean, it's terrible. Never mind him and the 850 plus employees that work for this organization who I know and love. This is a terrible thing. And these children and yeah. all of them have done nothing wrong. It's a disgrace and it's a political witch hunt. It's a witch hunt now on children and family because they don't like and Trump. Starts- By the way, our country was doing a whole lot better. So, I mean, and now I just don't understand the process. They make this decision, then they start the trial? Yeah, it's crazy. So here's what happened. There's like seven counts. Well, I, I'm like a criminal law guy, right? So I think about counts. This is civil. So they're actually causes of action. So there are seven causes of action. And what this Judge Engron did was he granted summary judgment to the state on the first cause of action, but said that there needs to be development of facts on the other six. So the first cause of action is already settled, and that's the that's the big important one. But he says that there needs to be a trial on the other six. So that's what's going to commence. But you're right. It sounds like Alice in Wonderland, right? Literally, you, you get the death sentence imposed first, and now you're going to have the trial. And then can you go to the appellate court? Is that going to be as politicized as this? Well, he can go to the appellate court for, you know, there's there's a number of things going on here, which you mentioned. One is like the outcome of the case. The other thing is like he's being immediately subjected to monitoring. When does he have to surrender these properties? They've taken away his certificate of doing business uh, in New York, not only his, but Eric's and Don Jr.'s and a couple of other executives there. So there's some of that stuff, Brian, I think that they may be able to appeal right away because otherwise it just puts them out of business. But the rest of the case, they probably can't appeal until the end. Incredible, Andy. It's going to get him more votes, but man, what about what a horror show. Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Uh, Your call's next, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. fastest three hours in radio you're with brian kilmeade but i think that the civil case is an existential threat to him this is who he is and his family and his whole family and his desire to show his dad who's gone that i told you i could be somebody this takes away any inkling of him proving the dad that he could rise up i was thinking just yesterday riding down fifth avenue I have one grandchild, four-year-old grandson, Marcus Al. How one day I'll be riding down Fifth Avenue with my grandson saying, you know, that building used to be called Trump Towers mm-hmm. and telling the story. That is the thing that is Donald Trump is scared about. He will be removed from the memory of the next generation because there'll be nothing called Trump if this civil case goes trip. forward. Al Sharpton used to come and beg Trump for, uh, for, Trump for advice and uh, money now says, I'm going to bring my grandson by to say that beautiful tower and the 45th president used to own that. 
and as if he can get inside President Trump's head to know his relationship with his dad. What is he, his definitive biographer? Is he the Walter Isaacson of Donald Trump? Are you kidding? And by the way, Donald Trump's pretty much indelible in American history as the 45th president, a guy that got more votes than anybody else in Republican history, even if it wasn't as much as Joe Biden got and could be president again. Nice try in destroying his legacy. On MSNBC, it's always been destroyed. But it's the rest of the country, which once in a while you could flip around and find out they don't feel that way, Al. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So uh, we have with us right now uh, Nick Nick Kozer, Fox Weather's uh, dancing weatherman. Uh, the only one. Is anybody else dance on the weather? You know what? Yeah. Since, I, since I've been doing it, people have been doing it all around the nation. It's becoming more and more commonplace. And I love to see it. I like to see people having fun in the workplace while taking their job seriously. What I about other important. anchors, Fox Weather anchors? That's what I mean. I don't know about in the building, but the affiliates for sure. I see them all the time and several of them have gone viral. They'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. So why did we pick that song, Nick? Okay, I picked that song because it's got a great tempo. I just liked it, to be honest. And I liked that it says, got to get your body moving, because this was all born out of the Tunnel of the Towers 5K, right, which is a 5K. You got to get your body moving in order to complete 3.1 miles in a 5K. And so, yeah, first of all, I want to be very clear. I was paid for my services here by Tunnel of the Towers, and I did this victory dance at the end of the Tunnel of the Towers 5K on Sunday to help raise money for Tunnel of Towers and their great foundation, which, as you are very familiar with, you did the 5K on Sunday along with me. You know that Tunnel of Towers helps catastrophically injured servicemen and women afford mortgage-free smart homes, right? So at the event on Sunday, there were double amputees, people in wheelchairs. That's what I'm talking about when I say catastrophically injured. Tunnel of Towers, in memory of Stephen Siller, raise money to be able to provide these people a home that affords them a a quality of life. Right. Right. And so that's what this is all about. And so we got together here at Fox and we thought, how can we drum up some money for this great organization? So I did the 5K at the very finish line. I did my little dance to that song that we were just playing, the Move My Body. And Was there music? There was music. Yeah, it was a rainy day, but we brought a little speaker and uh, we we were having fun out in the middle of the rain with the speaker and stuff as people were... Running past us, probably thinking, what are those weirdos well, got, like, doing? Right when the first people crossed? Yes, we were uh, right there, right at the finish line. So it was did, awesome. Do you know if I won? Was I first, <laughs> you know? Because I never really got my place. Me either. You know what? Did you? Would you, you you're, you're number one in my heart. Okay. Does that so mean I, didn't, I didn't actually win the race. <laughs> so you're actually at the finish line. Yeah. You ran it, didn't yes, you? Yes, yes. So did you just turn around and start Absolutely. dancing right after you crossed? That's right. That's right. And so uh, the goal is here. So listen. The goal is, for anybody listening, is to do one of two things. I would love it if you could just flat out donate money to Tunnel to Towers, right? So go to go.fox slash T, the number two, T. Throw in a couple bucks in the pot. And here's a cool thing. Fox Corporation is going to match your money two to one. So you donate $1, Fox matches it $2, up to 250000 And we've already raised... $220,000, so wow. we're really close to that match. But if you can't donate money, do the dance. Go to my Instagram account, 
Nick Koser, K-O, and then Sir, S-I-R. Look at the dance. It's real easy. It's like two, three steps. It's basically Zumba. Do the dance, post it on social, and then encourage people to donate, and I would love you forever. Wow, I got it. So right now, if people want to see the dance, it's only on Instagram? It's on Instagram. It's also on the Fox Weather Instagram. It's on my Facebook page as well. And I believe it's on the Fox Weather Facebook page. Now, too. a lot of things you do, you'll dance by yourself, but you'll end up with a group, or you'll just go and join a group and yeah. act as if you just stumbled onto them. Yeah. And I'm not even <laughs> up to think you just did. Uh, so, do, are there other people dancing with you? There are, there are, and this time it was with people in the building, some uh, the lovely ladies from Ad Sales, and so they did great. They're not professional dancers, but I think they f- they they could fool anybody. They did, did awesome. Did you drill them? I, uh, we, we had a, you know what? We had a practice session in the gym downstairs. Okay. So in that little like, uh, studio with the mirrors, we had yeah. a little 20, 30 minute crash course in, in the dance and it was awesome. So it was, it's been a great time for a great cause. It's, it's been such a win-win and it puts a big smile on my face to see the donations going up. It's awesome. Frank Siller know about this? Yes. I talked to Frank Siller. We did, we had some fun on Fox and friends. I'm glad you brought him up. So Tunnel to Towers, if you're not familiar, is all about keeping Stephen Siller's memory alive. And if you don't know who Stephen Siller is, this story is unbelievable. He was a firefighter, not on duty when 9-11 happened, when the attacks happened, right? It happens. He gets the call. He's at his house in Brooklyn. He goes, not on my watch. I'm going in to help no matter what. He gets in his car, goes to the battery tunnel, and it's shut down, right, because – the attacks happened. And most people, I think, at that point would be like, I can't make it. Sorry, guys. He got out of his car, put 60 pounds of equipment on his back, and ran through the battery tunnel to the site of the Twin Towers and started saving lives. He ran three miles before he even could start saving lives. And he saved so many lives that day. Unfortunately, he had to give his life to save many others. And so the Tunnel of the Towers 5K has been around to keep his memory alive ever since. And they've done a great job. It's been over 20 years, and this organization has raised over $500 million to, again, help catastrophically injured servicemen and women. And how can you not be motivated to help out a little bit when you hear a story like that? I mean, it's just – I don't think – 99 out of 100 people would have done what he did, right? And that makes him a hero, a special person. Right, and his older brother Frank is keeping his name alive, too. If you run that tunnel, you can't believe that someone did it with 60 pounds on their back. Because the tunnel goes on forever. Absolutely. And And you go down, and then you have to go up. Yeah, there's a – actually, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because there was the day of the 5K. I saw a firefighter in full uniform – and he was an in-shape guy, and this is no dig on him, but he was huffing and puffing. And so I could only imagine that day, right, he's got all of his gear on um, and just, just the chaos, the adrenaline. Plus, that tunnel was full of cars. It's not like it was a clear path. It was it was blocked off, I think, and, and there were cars in there. And so I couldn't imagine what was going through his mind, and I couldn't imagine doing that myself. What a what an absolute hero. Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing is, you go through, too, everybody's holding the pictures of other firefighters who died. Right. And they also of those who have died after 9-11 now now outnumber those who died at 9-11 because of related illnesses. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because there were obviously the short term impacts and effects and injuries. And then there were many, many long term impacts as well. And so, 
Yeah, every every dollar. I don't think there's a honestly. I don't think there's a better cause you could donate to. You know this this thing. The, those people of that day were made of of special stuff. Right. And uh, you know, and 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 you know, I was chatting with um, like I mentioned, double amputees, somebody in a wheelchair, and and they just. I think they would do it all over again, right? Right. So, Nick, now the other stuff that's not quite as serious. Yes. Dancing with the Stars is back. <laughs> How could you not be on that show? You know what? I'm okay with it. First of all, I think it's on ABC, and since I work for— Well, Tucker Carlson—oh, did Tucker Carlson do it? Did Tucker Carlson do it before he started at Fox? Maybe he did. I, I think before, but Geraldo was on it. Geraldo, yeah. Geraldo did it. Oh, that's right. Geraldo did, did The Apprentice, too. That's right. Well, you know, there's a difference between Nick Coaster and Geraldo. Not <laughs> First really. First of all, I think there's a huge difference. Well, that man's no, a legend. you're still here, number one. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, it's almost as if you're a ringer at this point. Well, no, no. I, you know what? I am okay. You would love it, wouldn't you? Pro- possibly. I get – I got to tell you, I'm shy. Like, big crowds like that, I'm a little bit more introverted. That would freak me out. You didn't get freaked out at the finish line with 40,000 people passing you? No, because dancing? It, no, because it wasn't live TV. We could we did multiple takes. I don't know. I don't know how I would react. I would just be honestly, I would just be grateful to be there. <laughs> I would just be that guy that would even if I got eliminated in the first minute. Hey Eric, I'm not sure you could do it or Alice and one of you guys could you get Nick on? Yeah. Let's do it. Eric, Eric will do it. I'll ho- How about this? I'll, I'd be a better host. Yeah, <laughs> Just act like I'm a good dancer. Well, yeah. Well, that's all you need. Just a couple of moves. Yeah. That's uh, right. what, was uh, Bergeron good? Was he good? I think, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's solid. He's he was solid. a good host, but he didn't dance. No, I know. But See, he's that's got. You, yeah, you should know. You should do it first. Win it. And then they'll say, listen, we want to make you an offer. And then you'll refuse because you'd rather be on the Weather Channel on cable. <laughs> Brian, I, you're talking like you should be my agent, bro- brother. Uh, Let's do this. All right, final, how do, we, how do we support you? Okay, listen. I'll give you a moment to get out your phone. Okay, this is real easy. It's just a couple numbers. Excuse me, a couple letters and one number. It's go.fox. All right, so far so good. It's easy. Go.fox slash T, the number two T. That's it. Go.fox slash T2T. Boom. You hit go. You go to that website. Bang. You can donate. We're at 220000 Okay. And then we need to get 250 And you got to go. And I got to go. You have to go do something else more important, uh, your full-time job. Nick, right. great to see you. Great thing you're doing. Thank you. Go get him. I really appreciate this right. time. Yeah. No problem. Thank you. All right. That was Nick. When we come back, we'll be able to open up the phone calls and find out if there's indeed more to know. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I took one sip, put it by my heel, (laughs) kicked it over, (laughs) and it's flooded. It's streaming behind the sofa, (laughs) down there in the cable. So if we go off air, it's because Brian's coffee. We need to give him a sippy cup. Right. Uh, (laughs) Thank you very much. Brian spilled coffee all over his tie the other day. Shocker. Where's your necktie, Brian? I um, you asked. spilled uh, coffee on it and had to make a tactical decision. Let me see oh how God. bad it is. So it's National Coffee Day, and it's been pointed out before. Uh, and Eric and Allison might back me up here. Sometimes I spill stuff on this board, too. Uh, but I spill my coffee a lot. You do. And know what one they didn't? They forgot to put in. 
Um, we were doing the Facebook Live the one time, and you had your coffee there, and you were gesticulating with your hands, and you knocked it over, and you're like, no, don't. Uh, and that was a good one, too. But it yeah, is kind of ugly when it does spill over, especially when it's pouring rain out, and you know you got someone walked in the rain to get it for you because you're doing the show. And it also, when you spend, I have a designer coffee now. I have, um, I have a latte, almond milk with an extra shot. And now pumpkin spice latte season, I'll go with that. Even though I don't love the syrup, I like when it's brewed. And now if it goes over, I know it's it's literally $7.80. Now, do you, you believe have, that? You, you have a bougie coffee order. You do. You like your fancy coffee. But to be fair, like I, any coffee in New York or even around the country is obscene at this point. Unless you're at like a 7-Eleven, a Wawa, something like that, a McDonald's. Any Dunkin' Donuts, I feel like it's impossible. Even well, that's where you go. Yeah, it's it's sad when you're getting coffee close to ten dollars. It is. Uh, so, a couple of things. Do you know that the XFL and USFL are merging? I heard. Right. So Fox will go with ABC, I guess, with ESPN. Uh, that's the Rock Group has uh, the XFL's Dwayne Johnson and his ex-wife Danny Garcia. An example of how to live with your ex-wife, I guess. So, so we'll see what happens because Fox is run the USFL. We'll finally have we'll have something to talk to Gerald Donson about. I hope he stays. Yeah, let's hope. I feel like you you might know that before anyone since you guys are buddies. Right. Uh, I mind he's the only cowboy I really like. Yeah, but you know what, uh, Brian? Eric just found it. He just dug up that little uh, the other instance of you spilling coffee. Okay. Lots of other good comments, but we will see you up on the radio. Oh, we got that. Oh, let's leave your phone. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. <laughs> I finally pee in his coffee and he spills it. Because <laughs> then Gutfeld played it on his show. Oh, he did? Okay. Now you I'm getting, now I got falling it. falling off the desk. You do. It actually sort of works for radio, even though it was very visual. It actually, yeah, it was very <laughs> visual. Yeah, for some reason I got that reputation. What can I tell you? Um, quick announcement. Uh, Teddy and Booker T comes out November 7th. Another reason to love this country, to write people at the right time. And if you want to see us live on stage in conjunction with Fox Nation, uh, starting November 9th, I'll be in New Jersey. Uh, I'll be in New Jersey at uh, a beautiful... The Vogel. Uh, the the Vogel. Theater. Have you been there? I have not. I've driven past it, but it's a very popular venue, and Red Bank's a great town, so you can come, have a great dinner, come see Brian, have a few drinks. Now, you know there's dinner setups in the back? I don't know. Are we serving? Did you see the back designer? There's There yeah. seems to be tables of four in the back. Maybe. So maybe and some people are buying them. Yeah. And there's VIP opportunities. Also, everybody gets a book when you go. I'll also be in Huntsville, Alabama, Mount Montgomery, Alabama, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Holland, Michigan, Skokie, Illinois, and Joliet, uh, Illinois. And I'll be for WOKV listeners. I will be in Ponte Vedra uh, coming up also. November 10th. November 10th. So it's going to be busy on stage, unscripted. It's always a lot of fun and very uh, uh, inspirational, motivational, patriotic afternoon. Uh, meanwhile, sadly, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein died. And guess what? Gavin Newsom's already said, I'm going to replace him. I'm going to replace her with a with a black woman, which is bizarre that we're just accepting this now. She did the best person. Having said that, he goes, I will not pick anyone that's actually going to run for her seat in November, which means Adam Schiff is out. Uh, who else said they're going to run? Katie Porter is out. Barbara Lee is out to run for the seat. There's just going to be a placeholder for a year and a half. Remember when Barack Obama went to the, uh, went to the white house, got to give up the Senate seat, all that controversy. Blagojevich. And they ended up just putting somebody there, the magic man. Remember that man? I have a good memory. This guy calls himself the magic man. And for a year and a half, he didn't run for reelection. 
And so that'll be good. And by the way, you get a pension for life if you're if you get this. You you get a pension for life, which is a great deal. You work for a year and a half and don't have to even run for the office. So that's pretty cool. All right. Um, the other thing that's going on is the big lockout that's happening right now. It doesn't look like we have any type of movement on this. And a Republican's going to be 100% to blame. They just cannot get their act together. It, there's a reason why it took them 15 rounds, 15 rounds to pick Kevin McCarthy. Now they're looking to oust him. So they, the Senate sent something over with almost no spending cuts. So that's not going to fly. Here's Senator Mitch McConnell. Cut 30. Shutting down the government is not like pressing pause. It's not an interlude that lets us pick up where we left off. It's an actively harmful proposition. Instead of producing any meaningful policy outcomes, it would actually take the important progress being made on a number of key issues and drag it backward. He's so inspirational to hear, and he's got so much energy. Uh, he did not freeze this time, so that's a positive. It would. It would it's be, what's worse than everything, you got to shut it down. People that work for the government will not be paid. They'll get their back pay. If you're lucky enough to not live paycheck to paycheck, you might enjoy the few days off. You're getting paid anyway, eventually. But I just think it shows an ineptness. You're supposed to be getting this thing on a roll in order to show the American public you can run the House, you're, you're in good hands in the Senate, and you can give me the White House. This is not what's going to do it. And to see that Kevin McCarthy's story, the first first story of the Washington Post today, it looks as though some right winger, it's got to be Matt Gates, is looking to oust Kevin McCarthy and put in Tom Emmert's his deputy. McCarthy also was confronted backstage, evidently in a back office, I should say, by Matt Gates, who says that Kevin McCarthy hired Republican trolls to troll him online. I find that highly unlikely. What a mess! Cut thirty two, Kevin McCarthy. Gates says this shuts down the McCarthy shutdown. Really? Why is that? Because he blames you for not moving on appropriations bills sooner, one by one, sooner and going going on recess for six weeks and the like. So when they stop the bills from coming up, and he's and if he votes against the continuing resolution, it's my fault. That's what he's saying. That's interesting. This is Republican to Republican. Hakeem Jeffries is sitting there using terms that I would not use, so calling it a civil war, and he says that. If they do to vote to have uh, to undo Kevin McCarthy to replace him, number one, he's out. They'll put Emmers in. He probably won't take it. Steve Scalise is dealing with cancer, so he's not going to be there to accept it. So who, what Republican is going to be good enough for Matt Gates? If you are too conservative, you got no constituency. Too moderate, you got none. You got to be compliant and a leader. And that's why they're not happy with McCarthy. You can't win yesterday or two days ago, Josh filled in for Eric and we had the earpiece like I'm wearing and Martha says, no, no, no. I want the headset. So he's like, oh, okay. Now, what are you doing? Tell you got the headset, home. but now, listen, no female wants to mess up her hair. We got to go back on TV. So you say Martha's holding... not female? No, no, no. But Martha is indestructible. The uh. hair is always perfect. Everything, nothing can rattle Martha. Those of us who are mere mortals right. can't be messing around with our hair. So that's what I thought. I mean, I don't like wearing a headset, and I'm, yeah. I am not, I am a mere mortal. But your hair always looks good. Mm, you got that going for you. But I, I remember when I was at school, uh, some days when my hair would be too long, it just doesn't get long. It gets. Uh, Voluminous. Does it get bushy? It's as if you, yeah, bushy. It's if you wear, get prel. 
Orgy. Oh, I remember Prell. Remember Prell? Yeah. We're dating it, ourselves. It also, yeah, it also brought body. Right, the lift. Now, did you use the one that was shampoo and conditioner in one? I didn't have that kind of money. <laughs> I, I was, but did you save money? Because if you get both products in one, it may be a little bit of an upcharge, but you're only buying one bottle instead of two. But you know what the thing is? Explain Prell. it to my mom. Put that back. Get the Prell. regular. We go right. Oh, we're no. regular pro people. No, my mom's like, here's a bar of soap. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> and it's on sale. Do you know That's the first time using. I saw some people washing their hair with uh, a bar of soap? Uh-huh. A little rascal. Spanky. See, it didn't work for them. Look how good his hair turned out. <laughs> right. Not, not <laughs> so that I know we should be using it. I never it. took the beanie off. Did he? No. Oh, I'm thinking of Alfalfa. Yeah. Did he also wash with the soap or was he different? I don't know. I think all I ever saw him doing is using grease to hook it. You're right. Yeah. His, hair, his hair was not bouncing and behaving. Right. There is no way there's a little rascal still alive. Am I correct? I think there's no possible way. There's no way. Because those, were those even, were they talkies? Was it oh, before yeah, they, they had this sound? I can't <laughs> they remember. They were talkies. Right after Birth of a Nation, they came out with little, <laughs> a little rascals. Uh, it was fantastic. So Shannon Bream's here, Fox News Sunday. She's been off for a while. I mean, what? I take one vacation. You guys are all over the place. You actually don't take vacations because you have 18 jobs. I've right. talked to your wife about the fact that you need more vacation. Right. And what did she say? But no, I, did, no, I think we're fine. She's like, I go on vacations without him because that's the only way I'm going on vacation. Yeah. I was talking to my son and my son's coming home for a week. He's at law school. I don't mm-hmm. know why anybody would go to law school. It is a nightmare. Right. And he's, he's going to be home for like a week for, uh, for Columbus Day. He's going to do nothing but and, sleep. And I'm he just says, tell you right now. He says, uh, me and mom might go to Disney. They don't even ask me. What? Right. Because they that, know it's not even worth it. Like, it's not, you're, not, you're not going to the, so the happiest place on earth. Right. I'm never happy there. So I'm not allowed to go on vacation either. Is that the deal? You can't go, so I also can't go? No, me and you. Uh, not, we neither one of us are allowed to go on vacation. It's like, listen, oh, yeah. we did. We dared to take a vacation last week. Sorry. Well, I just, I also figured maybe the same way. Because Saturday show, I'm irreplaceable. Right. So I'm thinking that if I'm going to take off, it's got to be the first half of the week. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. Well, because my day's off for Monday, Tuesday. But, but, but so you often work the, a lot Monday, well, Tuesday. Well, because the Supreme Court's doing stuff yeah. or we have legal issues. You might have heard of a few legal issues involving current and former presidents that I get involved in those two. Right. This, but we love to work. We do. We do. So let me ask you something. As we come to from New York at 48th and 6th, I am uh, out of all the cases, the documents, the Georgia case. All right. I'm not a lawyer. What are the chances? Is this real? I just need to be able to talk intelligently like a pedestrian about it. But I've been reading about this case. I've been seeing this case. And I'm just saying, is this this The New York case. The New York case. Are you really allowed to just target somebody's business, pour over his records, and just decide I'm going to take his business license away and decide that I've overvalued property when there's no complaints? And then Andy McCarthy told me that this is related to the uh, investigation that that was turned down. By the by, the New York the uh, the Southern District of New York, the uh, federal court, yeah. But who is the predecessor to Alvin Bragg? Um, he's kind of a famous. Uh, but candidate. that would be state. That wouldn't be federal. That would be well. This is from the state. Okay, so oh, you're this talking is from state the state. I'm talking yeah. New York State yeah. is taking mm-hmm. away his New York business, uh, Donald Trump's mm-hmm. New York business licenses away, fining yeah. him 250 million dollars reportedly. They're really not clear on what's going to well, happen because he overvalued the value of his properties. Where there's no or sometimes undervalued, we're told. But okay, you, you, and you and I talk about this that every business that's out there, or any one of us who tries to get financing for something, you try to be as accurate as possible. Some of that is subjective, but I think where you know President Trump has such a, a a solid argument for people who love or hate him here is that there were apparently no victims. If everything was re- repaid with interest, there was no default, there were no complaints. Then this tends to lend to his argument that this is a political prosecution. Of course it is. But one of the things they did, and tell me how rare this is, 35-page complaint. 
The guy, excuse me, the complaint that was handed to him by the Attorney General, Letitia James, the judge ruled for her in everything. Right. There's not one person who goes, well, that's too far. Well, mm-hmm. no, no, you overvalued the size of your penthouse at Trump Tower. You said it was 33,000 feet. It was 11,000 feet. Wow. Why don't you take him out in cuffs? And by the way, if the, why are you doing that? But well, see, this just lends credence to the argument he makes in the campaign trail that they're after him, that, they, you know, that this stuff is partisan in nature. I mean, this doesn't this doesn't help, you know, the office, I don't think, of the AG of Letitia James and others who would go after him because it does make it look like it's not neutral. And that's his whole argument. See, I look at it as real life. Imagine just going home and it's not your house anymore. I mean, literally, the Trump Tower is where he lives and where he works. His name's on the building. And then they're going to say, Mar-a-Lago, they said it was worth $18 million. Uh, I've only been there once, but they say it's uh, at least $300 million. Mm-hmm. So why are you saying it's $18 million? What do you know about real estate? And I'm sure people don't want to come forward now. But if you're a real estate person, commercial mm-hmm. real estate, and you're buying buildings, not many people like them around. You do that every day. Oh, Trump Tower, it's worth X amount of dollars. Well, it's up to Citibank if they're going to lend you money to go find out right. if you've overvalued it. Well, and that's the thing. Have you ever gotten a mortgage where you just give a number and they don't send somebody to Never. actually value the house? Like Never. It's, it's, it's up to it's them to investigate because they will come. And I've had fights with them before. Like they want to use comps in the neighborhood. And I'm like, that's not an exact comparison. Like you have to deal with people who are coming to make an assessment. And if you're loaning someone millions or billions of dollars, I do think that you have made enough business calculations. And if the person never defaulted, you got your interest back. I don't understand where the complaint is or who the victim is other than this. This helps him with his argument that they're after me. It's not fair. And the thing of it is jarring because your kids are involved. So mm-hmm. th- so get this. They've already made their judgment, but the trial starts Monday. Right. What? So, oh, yeah. So they've made a judgment about a portion of this, about what will be presented and what they can move forward with and the allegations. I got to think everything's going to be appealed, though. No matter what happens with him in the next year or two on any of these civil or criminal charges, you and I both know appeals take forever. But do and they I would keep imagine, it in receivership until, until it's It's a good question. I mean, you can ask for a stay of whatever the decision but is. Gets, but if these judges are all against him, they say Yeah, Democrat, it's going to be hard in New York. He's going to have a better – he has a better chance with a jury in New York than he does judges. Why did he go with the judge then? Wasn't that his decision? Well, but some of the stuff you can't. Some of the assessments are made by judges. I don't know in this particular case New York state law, but some of the assessments are made without a jury. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was a choice or not. They did. He also did say this. I'm not going to look to move my Georgia case out of federal court. I'm I thought that was it. interesting. And, and some of the speculation I heard was because – uh, even though the jury poll might be more favorable, he will have a chance to see mm-hmm. the the prosecution because he's got two of the 19 mm-hmm. going first. Right. In, in a, a, literally a month. So he'll be able to go, OK, I'm going to sit back and watch this. I mean, what people say is if he's found guilty, he can never be pardoned federally from a state case. Right. I mean, he can't do a state pardon. For anything that you even know, the governor can, I think we looked this the up. Go- yeah, the governor can, but it, it, no, it's can't. A very, can't because it's this very lengthy process. There's a group, a certain number of years yeah. have to go by. It's a group decision. Yeah, so he can't just look at Kemp, who they're not besties, if you recall. Right. He oh. can't just look at Kemp and say like, yeah, please get me out of this. It's not possible. In I want you to hear. And this might be a guest for you on Fox News Sunday. Is it uh, Alina Haba? Uh, not this week, but we uh, have had her many times. Yeah. So she's Trump's legal spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Cut thirty three. What a disgrace. The Trump Organization is an amazing American story about a business owned by a family, and now they've used his politics to go against his children. I mean, it's terrible. Never mind him and the 850-plus employees that work for this organization who 
I know and love, this is a terrible thing. And these children and yeah. all of them have done nothing wrong. It's a disgrace and it's a political witch hunt. It's a witch hunt now on children and family because they don't like and Trump. Starts- By the way, our country was doing a whole lot better. Barron's okay. He's young. He's out of the fray. Yeah. Uh, but think about this, because we hear all the time that you can't do anything with Hunter. He is not running for office. He's not involved in office. And what he was doing with his own business dealings or whatever, that has nothing to do with his dad. And yet the Trump children are brought in on, on a lot of these things. And they were in business with him. There were connections there. So that's going to be part of the consideration. But are are political kids OK to go after or not? Well, I think when they it looks like they're going after him. These are these are 40, 50 year old kids. And Eric was actually running things. Don was taking care of international business, which they were told when he was president, do not do that. He starts running for president. They say, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So he literally was his portion of the business, building the, the golf club over mm-hmm. in Scotland and doing stuff in Saudi Arabia. And I guess Turkey, three of the names, he had to stop, not mm-hmm. even maintenance it, tried to do things right in that case. So I want to bring you to the impeachment inquiry. We're down this road again, but no one said it's an impeachment but you've seen the circumstantial evidence around it that needs to be followed up. First off, on the format yesterday, some were critical, saying Jonathan Turley and the forensic accountant weren't good to bring up first. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think, first of all, part of what Turley said has been taken out of context. Because I was watching it live. You probably were, too. And some of what I've seen him quoted on, I think, didn't get the full nuance of what he was saying. Yes, he was saying, I don't think we're at an impeachment articles of impeachment yet but i do think there's plenty that's appropriate for an inquiry so but what is getting pulled out there is this line he said it's not time for articles of impeachment you don't have what you need but that's that was not what he was asked to say yesterday he was asked to say is the inquiry you know proceeding is this something that we should be doing and he said yes right uh so we see this case and we we see the text messages and it looks overwhelming but not necessarily new they're laying out the case so jamie raskin says there's no there there cut 15 they present us No basis at all today, even after eight months of investigation. They've invited three witnesses to testify. Not one of them is an eyewitness to a presidential crime of any kind. The committee has received 12,000 pages of bank records. Here they are, right in front of us, printed double-sided. And not a single page shows a dime going to President Joe Biden. We've received two thousand pages of SARS reports the chairman subpoenaed. We've held hearings and conducted interviews with everybody from Hunter Biden's business partners to a federal agent assigned to that investigation. And still, we found no evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden. What do you think about his assessment? Think, keep in mind, we, he says these are not eyewitnesses. But who were the eyewitnesses? Ziegler and Shapley. If those two IRS agents did not come forward... If the House hadn't eked out a win to control the House and then you have GOP chairman, we wouldn't even know most of this stuff because we were told by the White House he's never talked to his son about business. He doesn't know anything about that. Now we find out he was having dinners with people that were directly involved in some of these business 20 conversations over the course of 10 Right, and other things. So, uh, listen, uh, Raskin is right. There is no smoking gun that shows, okay, here's a wire transfer to President Joe Biden. That is accurate. They have not come up with that, and they might not at all. But when they have to keep moving the goalposts, well, he wasn't in business with his son. You know, changing the conversation, it makes people wonder what else we don't know. Exactly. Would we find anything? If we didn't know they have the whistleblowers of the laptop, we'd have nowhere. Mm-hmm. The thing that bothers me, and you keep in mind, the president of the United States looked in the camera and said, I know nothing about my son's mm-hmm. business dealings, and the laptop is, according to 51 intel agents, it's not his. And he knew that was a lie. 
Bo Biden's bumper sticker, Bo Biden Foundation, was on the laptop. 51 Intel experts, when you know all you had to do is call up Hunter, which he did, Mm -hmm. and say, this is ours, right? This is obviously Mm -hmm. these are pictures are real. That is actually me. That's actually my email. All the guys of 51 that signed on for a different conversation, they never even pick up the phone and call Joe Biden and say, Joe, before I sign my name in this and my reputation, Mm -hmm. Michael Hayden on down, is this you? Well, and and keep in mind, too. When people lie to you to your face. What, they, what else are they lying about? Well, and the whistleblowers have told us that there were elements within the FBI who knew well before that letter went public that they had actually, through iCloud and other ways, had confirmed this this information was Hunter's. Before the election. They knew that, right. And they didn't come out before the election and say, oh, actually, this letter is not right. The, we actually have confirmed through other independent means that this is legitimately Hunter's. Now, that's according to the whistleblowers. That's their testimony. All right. So here's what Jonathan Turley did say. Cut 17. Can a benefit to your family be a benefit to you? It is. There's been a, a repeated statements that you need to show that that President Biden accepted direct money in order for this to co- constitute a benefit, even under under criminal cases that deal with bribery, extortion, the Hobbs Act. The courts actually have rejected that. They've said that money going to family members is, in fact, a benefit. And I don't really see any legal basis for that. So he said, we're not there yet, but this is an investigation. I do wonder about the pace of the witnesses. Why not pick up the pace? We'll see if they do. I mean, now that these subpoenas are going to go out for, you know, bank records of Hunter and Jim Biden, James Biden, um, maybe Comer will find something they haven't seen yet. What about Eric Sherwin? I mean, he's the accountant on the family that evidently is on the outs with the family. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's an interesting person. I mean, you, you've had Devin Archer. You've had Bob Alinsky. You've had many other people that have come forward and given a testimony that is not great for the Bidens. But again, no smoking gun there. Democrats are right to say that. From what you've seen of Bob Alinsky, wouldn't you love to see him there and let the Democrats grill him? Or are they going to do what they did yesterday and say, Jared Kushner's a bad guy and Donald Trump is forcing you to do this? No one really took on the case yesterday. Mm -hmm. They didn't really challenge it. The North Carolina attorney was there and said, basically, this really shouldn't be this really should not be a case. And then he had a forensic accountant who said, there's a lot of questions that I have here. I'd be all over this if this was me. And then Jonathan Turley. I don't think we're ready to be impeached yet, but that's where we're here. There's a lot to need to be found out. Mm-hmm. And are, was, are you doing this Sunday? A, a heck to the yeah. We're doing it. Um, we have got all kinds of interesting things going on. But, of course, we're going to be digging into this. We've got the showdown. So we've got French Hill and Byron Donalds, two GOP members on opposite sides of this thing. We've got Senator Joe Manchin to talk to us about Diane Feinstein's passing, what they do with the Menendez seat, all kinds of other issues. And Nikki Haley coming off of a, well, what analysts say was another strong debate performance. And the chatter is that, you know, the donors are sniffing her out as maybe their Trump alternative. Do you buy in Youngkin? I mean, this is so close to you. Do you mm-hmm. buy that Youngkin's really considering running? No, I don't. I don't. Do I just, I, why just would he based, do it? Just exactly. Because he's got these big, like every one of the state house and Senate seats is up this fall. And so he's really trying to flip full Republican control. If he does that, it would be a huge feather in his cap and an argument moving forward. But in mm. Virginia, you can only do one term. And why would you blow it up running against President Trump, which is probably not going to be successful? Um, I think that that he wants to have a very strong first term. Only term you can have in Virginia. Not, you can't do consecutive. And then I think he would be in a good position to think about 28. Absolutely. And we never know what's going to happen with everybody's uh, Senate seat. We're going to watch Fox News Sunday. I'll see you then. But first on Saturday night. It's One Nation. I'll see you there. Nine o'clock. <laughs> Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Why does President Biden and congressional Democrats continue to ignore the border and ignore their own leaders? That is why I'm putting on the floor a stopgap measure that will fund the government and secure the border. Every member will have to go on record of where they stand. Are they willing to secure the border, or do they side with President Biden on an open border and vote against a measure to keep government open? So that is Kevin McCarthy knows we're about to uh, shut down the shut down the government, and it's uh, disastrous. Not, not only forget about politics, it's disastrous. Then when you look at politics, if you think that the Democrats are doing a terrible, terrible job running the government, this does not help when Republicans are in control of one house and it looks like they are thoroughly responsible for this. I did not know this, but we all got alerts on our phones. Thankfully, it was in the break because of flooding. In New York City, right now, there's massive flooding. LaGuardia Airport is closed, Curls Terminal A before 11. Wild scenes of flooding unfolded through the city, and the governor has declared a state of emergency over the unrelenting storm. Is it still raining right now? It is still raining. Actually, Jackie Heinrich, our next guest, is on her way to LaGuardia, so maybe her flight is canceled. Maybe I should. Maybe she listens to the show. And Let's she'll hope. turn around and come back and go to the lunchroom. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. But here I am as President of the United States of America making this speech about my fear of the diminishment of democracy. We should all remember, democracies don't have to die at the end of a rifle. They can die when people are silent, when they fail to stand up or condemn the threats to democracy. Like, exactly, like people that run against me, does stand up and vote for me. Yes, uh, everything's a danger because of January 6th. Terrible, but instead of just saying I'm better than the other guy and Republicans want to lock down the border and want to get into a bunch of wars, whatever the comments say, what do they always say? Republicans want to give tax breaks to the rich or trickle-down economics. Instead of doing that, that's not going to work. We have to tell you that if you elect Trump, the world ends, democracy is over, our founding fathers will give up the country. And that, to me, is a little early to start that a year out. Just like the spending that's happening right now makes me wonder what their internal polls show. Jackie Heinrich's been uh, filling in all week long, and always, her beat is Washington uh, at the White House. And she's uh, she's right now making her way towards LaGuardia. Right, Jackie? Yeah, I mean, we'll see if my flight's on time. I was in for Dana this morning on America's Newsroom, and my app says that the flight is still on time. I'm hearing, though, that LaGuardia is flooded. We've got a situation in New York City. So hopefully I can make it back to Washington uh, at least before the show I'm hosting tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> in the final hours before the government shuts down, we'll see. Right. And do you stay at work and watch One Nation, or do you go home? Because it's 9 o'clock at night now on Saturday. Uh, I never miss. One Nation, Brian, and nobody else ever should. Right. Do you watch at the bureau? No, I usually will watch it from my phone, from my house. Okay. You can watch it everywhere, right? That's good. That's just like the ad says. You can watch it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so Jackie, I was surprised at speech yesterday. And he decided, you know, you read these stories that the administration is just going to start running against Trump. They're going to ignore the other candidates because he's winning by so much. Or they mm-hmm. know they can get people exercised by bringing it up. But they really went for blood yesterday. Yeah, this was, um, you know, certainly a, a stronger 
I guess, rebuke of the former president than we've heard from Biden recently, at least. It's very in line with what we always knew uh, he was going to make his 2024 campaign about, which is targeting MAGA extremism. But he, you know, has not really sort of invoked Trump by name or brought up specific things that tie directly back to Trump. Um, And I think, you know, the way I see this is threefold. Uh, One, Democrats think that that is Biden's best chance to win. Because if you can remind people of of all of the things that upset them about Trump, then Biden looks better. Um, And that's really the only counter that he has to this polling, I think, which shows that at the end of Trump's term, he had a 38 percent approval rating. He's got a 48 percent approval rating now. And that has everything to do with Biden's policies uh, and very little, I would think, to do with Trump, because people aren't seeing from him, hearing about him in the ways that they used to. He's not on Twitter. He's not on TV all the time. So this is really a reflection of Biden not doing well. And I think, too, you know, if if you're advising Joe Biden in the White House, you want to bring up Trump and forget about anyone else who's in the mix to get the GOP nomination, because that is his surest bet, they think, to win again in 2024. Um, I also thought that it was interesting to hear him at once, you know, calling for people to cast their partisan bias aside and work together while also vilifying, you know, a good chunk of Americans who identify with the, you know, MAGA movement. So he's trying to do it both ways. It hasn't worked in the past. You know, we'll see where it goes this time. Yeah, here's more. This is more uh, emblematic of what I was talking about. Cut one. And there's something dangerous happening in America now. There's an extremist movement does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. The MAGA movement. Not every Republican, not even a majority of Republicans adhere to the MAGA extremist ideology. I know because I've been able to work with Republicans my whole career. Right. But as you but know, most of the stuff that he's done bipartisan has bubbled up from the Senate. I mean, there's nothing that there was a program that he wanted people to sign off on. I mean, that infrastructure bill, the gun bill, that did not come from the White House. That was signed by the White House. That's correct. And, you know, he's he, what he's really doing is taking the focus, I think, off of uh, the impeachment inquiry hearing that was happening on the Hill and saying, you know, the lawmakers in Congress should be focused on funding the government and working together to fund the government. We're having these, you know, squabbles over things that we should be able to agree on. Um, and he blames uh, loyalty to Trump for that. Um, because anything that, is, you know, Biden wants, which I guess to if you're Joe Biden thinking it out, you know, that includes funding the government, uh, something that they reject. Um, but I, I think that, you know, he's trying to make this about, um, you know, he's willing to work across the aisle. But really, you know, look at the stuff that, the, that his administration has put forward. He had a reconciliation bill, remember, that was, you know, pushed through from the Senate. And that included a lot of provisions that no Republicans wanted. And in the areas where, you know, there has been agreement, it's been you haven't seen Joe Biden sending his vice president, who, by the way, was a senator down to the Hill to try to, you know, hammer out these details and get it done. Um, He's doing a lot of, you know, stuff through executive orders. So he's talking the talk. I don't know that he's walking the walk. Right. Uh, so yesterday, I, I'm encouraged because I care. I really don't care how it relates to politics. I think it's a unbelievable. Uh, I think it's unbelievably concerning about what's happening at the border, at the rate it's happening. I see it in New York City. The only thing to get the homeless off the streets would be rain like this. Uh, but for the most part, they're in over 200 facilities and only getting worse to the point where the Democratic mayor and governor are calling out the Democratic president, who, whose way of solving the problem is to legalize Venezuelans for 18 months. 
Elon Musk, I love the way he brought the attention to the border yesterday. Here's a little of his visit with Congressman uh, Gonzalez of Texas. Cut 25. I'm uh, at Eagle Pass. I uh, just arrived. And um, we're, we're just going to go around and, and talk to the, um, the, the major officials uh, and, and law enforcement and whatnot that uh, are here as and, and just kind of eyeball the situation, get a sense for what's going on. As an immigrant to the United States, I'm extremely pro-immigrant. Um, and I believe that uh, we need a greatly expanded uh, legal immigration system uh, and that we should uh, let anyone in the country who is hardworking and honest and uh, will be a contributor to the United States. Uh, we should have expedited legal approval for anyone who, who sort of falls in that category. So he went on, he live-streamed a lot of it. What changes with Musk going down there, live-streaming it, bringing additional attention to it? It gets it off uh, uh, Bill Malusian and Fox and Griff Jenkins, doesn't it? And it makes people pay attention. I think it does. I mean, I, I think also it shows that this is not just an issue that Fox News has been covering for years now, which it is. Um, but it's an issue that people should care about. And no one else has, you know, until very recently been talking about the fact that the Democratic mayor of El Paso, uh, or East Pass, excuse me, has been calling for uh, the president to come down, the vice president to come down and see what's actually happening there and, and surge more resources, really resources, though, to um, secure the border. Because as you can have a million, you know, immigration asylum judges to try to process people through. But when you are having policies handed down from the administration that are not geared toward restricting illegal crossings, they're more geared toward, you know, increasing legal migration, you're not telling, giving people the message that they shouldn't come. And so we've been covering that story a lot. I think Elon Musk putting a spotlight on it will help spread that message. But the president does not want to, you know, address the border at all. And the, the line we get from the White House, which astounds me all the time, is we, you know, did our job day one in office, submitted a comprehensive immigration reform plan. It's up to Congress to do something. Nothing more we can do until then. Uh, a lot of people think there's a lot more he can do in the in the meantime. And that bill that he submitted, by the way, is going nowhere because Republicans will not partner on it unless it has more border security provisions. They see DACA and TPS and all these things that Biden wants as being great, so long as we can have the border secured. But the conversation has stopped from the White House. And neither party, it seems, you know, sees a path forward uh, at, at this juncture. So this is just an issue that's going to persist. And until the president is made to, I think, you know, reverse course on his unwillingness to go down there, or make it really a priority of his administration, we're just going to continue to see records be broken. He's bleeding uh, votes on this. And if you want to know the uphill battle that uh, remains for convincing people that this is real, listen to this exchange on CNN with Jake Tapper and Congresswoman Presley from the squad. Cut 28. Our border is secure and we're in the midst of a humanitarian crisis and we have to fix a broken system. Wait, and we also you think it is secure? You think the border is secure or it is not secure? I believe that we are in the midst of a humanitarian crisis and there needs to be federal investment to support those migrant families. Do you think that the border is secure? I just, is that what you said? Yes, the border is secure. But if you have millions of undocumented migrants coming into the country, how is the border secure? Jake, this is not a new crisis. Um, it does require uh, more political will 
Do you believe this? Even Jake Tapper couldn't swallow that. I mean, th- God bless Jake Tapper, I guess, for, yeah. you know, giving Ayanna Presley a reality check there because I don't know how you can argue that it's secure. I mean, that when Mayorkas tried to give us that line, uh, there was a week of questioning from the White House briefing room about how ridiculous of a statement that was. So it's kind of astonishing to me that that's still, you know, the, the go-to phrase for mm-hmm. some members of the Democratic Party. Um, obviously not Democrats who have you know, seeing what's happening there. And that's why you have Democrats along the border in border communities calling on their colleagues to come down and see for themselves what's happening. So, Jackie, you're going to have to work the weekend if they shut down? I am, um, you know. Well, you're, you're anchoring anyway, but it looks like they're <laughs> shutting am. down, right? When would the official shutdown take place? So government funding runs out at 11.59.59 tomorrow. Uh, so I guess zero 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 zero. Um that's when it's all over. A lot of things could happen between now and then. I don't see any of it coming to pass. I mean, I think Kevin McCarthy was rallying, uh, applauding the passage of four appropriations bills overnight, but it takes 12 to fund the government. Uh, They're all dead on arrival in the Senate because the levels are far below what they want to see there. And there is so far um, the bipartisan effort to get the Senate continuing resolution over to the House Uh, reticence to, I think, for the speaker, uh, put a Senate bill on the floor because that doesn't do a lot for his speakership. Also, you know, you don't want to – it makes him look bad or weak, I guess, if you're taking over something that has been handed down by a a democratically controlled Senate, uh, even though you have a certain number of Republicans in the House who – think that the what needs to continue to happen is funding for the military, funding for, you know, border, for instance. There's willingness among them to sign on to, I think, a discharge petition to get something done. But the sort of question they're facing is if they sign that, do the Democrats then screw them over and put something else in uh, in that discharge petition? Because it's just an empty vessel at this point. Um, and it's also an uncertain bet for McCarthy to put something on the floor, depending on Democrat votes because they could always turn around and burn you. So a lot of politics at play. But one thing is for sure now that indicates that the government's going to remain open Mm -hmm. beyond 1159 to 9 p.m. tomorrow night. If you need that that plane to get out, if you have to, you can use my name and say, listen, Brian Kilmeade really wants me back in Washington tonight. (laughs) You want to try that? I I might take you up on that, Brian. Because I know everybody at LaGuardia. So go ahead, Jen. (laughs) You could do that. Hey, Jackie Heinrich, we'll watch you you tomorrow. Thanks, Brian. All right. Hope you get on that plane. And uh, excuse me, Earth, stop raining. We've just about had enough. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. In all, we have four appropriation bills done. There's 12 overall to get done. It's the discretionary spending every year the government is supposed to do. We have now in the House passed more than 70% of the discretionary spending on appropriations. Need I remind you, how much has the Senate passed? Zero. Not one appropriation bill has passed the Senate. All right. Um, They did hand over something to have a continuing resolution. I don't think we're going to actually see that from the Senate and sign off by the... 
uh, by the House, but you got five people in the House. Even though Byron Donalds told me this morning on television, uh, we're not saying for sure that they will definitely not sign out to a continuing resolution. Well, Matt Rosendale did say for sure they won't, and Andy Biggs says, I told you I won't, and Matt Gates says, absolutely not, let's get rid of Kevin McCarthy. So it's really a train wreck over the weekend, and if they do shut down everything tomorrow, the Sunday shows are going to be all about it, and they're not going to be about the debate. They're not going to be about Donald Trump. They're not going to be about uh, the impeachment. They're going to be all about this. Dennis, listening in Salisbury, Vermont. Hey, Dennis. So, uh, Brian, the continuing resolution will keep the government uh, funded, in a manner of speaking, until, what, in November? Yeah, well, they're talking about two things. One, I heard the first original one was middle of October, and the other one was November 1st. Yeah, and so the GOP-controlled House will get the blame, and I agree with you on that, if the continuing resolution doesn't pass. And, well, what's the difference? What will happen in November if it doesn't – if another continuing resolution doesn't pass? Will, Dan, will Dan, if you, if you ask me, change? this is what will you're it, getting to. Uh, I'm in, in, in August, they should have done the appropriations bills. And then even if the Senate goes, I don't agree with any of them, they'll have to negotiate. But now the Senate did them all. And they're waiting for the House to do anything. And last night they did four. So whatever you think you're spending is a lot or a little. It's got to be it's got to be less. We would hope whatever emergency funding you need, maybe for the border or for something else, whatever it is, a lot or a little Taiwan getting their weapons might help, even though they ordered them two years ago. So having said that, if you give them they've already passed four last night, you got to figure in three weeks they could pass another six and then they go and negotiate and then there'll be both sides negotiating towards one goal. But right now, the Senate could sit there and go, I'm waiting on the finish line. You don't like what I'm wearing, and you probably would never be caught dead in it, but at least I'm at the finish line. And Kevin McCarthy can't control his own team. So he can't even say Hakeem Jeffries has given me a hard time. Hakeem Jeffries says, I have no idea what's going on there. And Dennis, a lot of these battleground states and these battleground districts that flip to Republican in order in New York and California in order to give them the House are, are going to make it harder for these men and women to get reelected. So there do, does need to be there does mean major restructuring, spending restructuring. But I don't think it's going to happen on this budget. I think we could get us going in the right direction, but it's probably going to be with a new president. Because this president is never going to cut anything. He's going to look to federalize all of it. Joe in Virginia Beach. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian. Hey, I'm one of the ones, if they shut it down, who will have to go to work, and I won't get paid. I'll get back pay later so they can tack it on to a regular paycheck and take out more in taxes. So actually, I'm going to be making less. But to be honest with you, at this point, I don't care. Um, It seems like every single time, it's always the Democrats who are threatening a shutdown. And I've, I've been around long enough to know it. I think the last budget we had was with Bill Clinton. That, those many years ago, we haven't had one since. It's always continuing the resolution. Yep. I say break it and then force them to come to the table and do a line-by-line vote mm. and force them to vote yes or no, straight up and down vote. None of this mess where they decline or they don't show up for the vote. A straight up and down yes or no vote, line-by-line. And if it takes a little while to get there, it just takes a while to get there because I am tired of the Democrats bullying they, they have right. bullied people. But, but, Joe, the thing is, they didn't show up. The Republicans didn't show up for the fight. They didn't show up for the fight. They didn't come ready. 
So they, they, they can't, they're not at the finish line. Even They're not even showing up at the finish line to break the tape. So at least tell me what you, how you wanted to win. They couldn't even do that. Brian Kilmeade Show. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.